Well, good evening and happy new year, folks. Yes, indeedy. It is now 2024. If you've been living under a rock or maybe you partied a little too hard. I know I tried to avoid that, but hey, you know, we got to live a little sometime. Uh, Now we are just creeping back, and I do mean creeping back, into the theater for the first time. It's uh, quite a different year for us as well, and some of you who listen to my other show, my personal journal, Surely You Jest, you might be a little wiser about it, but uh, in short, we went through a roller coaster of a year. We lost our two senior girls, and we just as quickly got two new senior girls, not like we were you know, shopping in the store or anything, but when you're searching for a happy thought and they're staring you in the face, you can't say no to them. And uh, because of one of those little smiling faces, we didn't have a tree this year. Um, Impossible. I I don't believe it. (laughs) Usually you have two or three trees. Oh, yes. And, you know, that's mostly because my husband spent half his life in retail and department stores and whatnot. I, I remember uh, maybe the the first year we moved into our house, we even had a Christmas tree in our boudoir, which that was pretty fancy fancy. But uh, we we didn't have a tree this year because of one of our little balls of love. But we made do, and mm-hmm. we're just happy that uh, they were basically our gifts to ourselves this year. And, well, I'm, uh, I'm just imagining what the ornaments were on your bedroom tree, but never mind. Yeah. <laughs> and we just got back quite literally last night from Hubby's big mid-century bash. We went out to dinner with uh, Mama Billy, and uh, that took some doing because, uh, you know, sometimes mothers like to, to do things on their own terms. And I had to tell her, don't be silly, Mom. I know you wanted to, uh, you know, have a to-do, but I didn't want you to have to make an effort tonight. And Hubby and I have way more birthdays together than we have with you. So don't be a fool and put on your coat, please. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So here we are at the theater and uh, we have... A, uh, a Sunday mystery crime drama series that we're talking about. Miss Gertie is going to uh, jingle jangle. Oh, wait, she, she put away the bells, didn't she? Yeah, I did. Jesus. Listen, all I know is my favorite guest is returning, and, uh, and we'll introduce him in a minute. But hey, I got to tell you, the last time he was here, this will give you a hint who he is. I combed him, and then uh, all the hair I collected, I knitted a sweater. <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I'm wearing it right now. Huh? Do you like it? Oh, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. All right, why don't you scoot on down and and introduce the show, Gertie? Well, fine. Okay. Do we do we still have any eggnog, or is that gone? <laughs> I drank it. Oh, she drank it. I'm not surprised. All right. is a former defense attorney turned police commissioner for the city of San Francisco. 
he and his young wife, Sally, paint the town red while often stumbling across tips on his latest case. Join us for a special discussion of this six-season NBC Sunday crime drama series. Throw on a cocktail dress, but bring some flats. It's time for Macmillan and Wife, starring 60s leading man Rock Hudson and the Emmy-nominated Susan St. James. Take it away, fellas. What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies? And a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your hosts, DJ and Toppy. Well, howdy do, folks. Welcome once again to the beautiful, historical Marionette Theater. Uh, i got to change the locks because that showgirl of ours, uh, she might have handed out a key or two. But anyways, I'm uh, here and we've got a special guest in Spuds Flats, New York. Oh, Uh, why don't you introduce them, DJ? Oh, just like a nice evening at home, we've imported something for you tonight, folks. Here tonight, as you, if for your listening enjoyment, we have the kindly sounds of Mr. Paul, Mr. Shyetti of the Shy Life Podcast. Welcome, sir. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me again. Oh, it's so kind of you to to board that plane and and come to our side of the the pond. Oh, well, we <laughs> little have does he know. Little yeah. does he know, Paul, how you get over here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> magic, magic. Ooh, I I I thought that there was a hole in that bag of coins. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so mm. I I hear tell that uh, this is one of your favorites that we'll be discussing tonight, Paul. Yeah, it's sort of. It's, I, I, I can't say I've seen every single episode, but it certainly it was one I was interested in enough to get the box set a few years ago, um, and and to dip in because I, I'm interested in in Buck Hudson from the sort of sixties and seventies, and um, yeah, it's it's a bit of a curio because you don't hear much about it for, uh, over here, um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's quite an interesting. Um premise not not just that it's a crime drama but how this was presented it you know point of fact was a series but because in america here it was sort of the sunday night event for nbc it was a tv movie pretty much every time because it was an hour and a half with or without commercials yeah yeah it was uh what what uh, NBC called their their wheel series because it would rotate with Columbo and McLeod. And so as a result, uh, when we talk about a season of Macmillan and Wife, we're pretty much talking eight episodes max, sometimes seven, a uh, few of the seasons were six. So all in all, even though we say it ran six seasons, we're not talking about a whole lot of episodes. Hmm. It's it's almost like they were practicing for the modern day concept of TV on streaming. People complain, I miss the days when I had 25 episodes of my show. But 
people don't understand the the the, the talent that made those programs. They didn't get time with their families with 25 episodes a season. <laughs> it, it's true. Yeah, they. Yeah, it's true. Well, so Toppy, uh, there is something that we like to do to put people in the mindset of the time and place of this. Yeah, and I think uh, we should uh, uh, force Paul to, I mean, uh, let Paul do it. Uh, so Paul's going to tell us about, well, basically uh, U.S. history in 1971 when McMillan and the wife debuted. Yeah, well, we, we have a Uniform Monday Holiday Act um, at this time. Federal holidays observed on Mondays. There was a ban on cigarette, cigarette ads on, t- on TV and radio takes effect. Uh, Satchel Page becomes the first black league player to get voted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, Congress discontinues funding for supersonic transport, such as the Concorde. And the first Starbucks opens in Seattle. Oh. I mean, yeah. Uh, meanwhile, U.S. ends its trade embargo of China. Uh, 26th Amendment lowers the voting age from 21 to 18. The U.S. drops the gold standard, uh, the U.S. Treasury deposit of gold, and the U.S. Postal Service is spun off its spun off, spun off as its own corporation. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Walt Disney World opens in, in Orlando, and Intel releases the first commercially available microprocessor. Jeez, that early? Mm. Wow. I mean, and this whole discussion of 1971 tells us why Paul has to get here the way he does, because they don't have the Concord anymore, for goodness sake. <laughs> no, no. Uh, why is it just because people stopped funding it, or was there some other reason? Like, you would think the Concord would still be with us. What was the problem? Anybody know? The impact of the engines when they're fired is mm-hmm. such that it creates a boom that's where you get the the term sonic boom because it's breaking the sound barrier and at least at the time that the concord was in use they had no means to prevent that from happening so people didn't like the fact that suddenly where they were living near these commercial airline airports they were experiencing the same Fourth of July. Uh, every time a plane took off. <laughs> okay, well that that uh, cancels my theory, which was that Airport seventy five, the Concorde, was so horrible that everybody <laughs> never <laughs> rode on the Concorde again. Oh well, now I have to go find that because you know I'm a few uh-huh. classes behind Toppy and Paul. Oh, here. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's got a soft spot in my heart, but it's. Uh, Terrible movie. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Well, and then we also sort of missed uh, that uh, Paul actually spoke one of Toppy's triggers. His favorite name was Satchel. Satchel. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. As a matter of fact, when Paul was said that, in my head, I said Satchel. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, well, why don't I tell you who was born in 71? Um, a musician singer, Mary J. Blige. Uh, she's a queen of hip hop and soul. Got uh, got herself 15 studio albums. Uh, Regina King, the actress uh, from 
227 and Miss Congeniality 2. Uh, Lord of the Rings star Sean Austin uh, was born in 71. Did you know? Did you know? He's the son of Patty Duke. He is. Uh, uh, actor Shannon Doherty. Uh, our dear friend Matt Burlingame will be uh, pleased to know she was born in 71 because Matt Burlingame is probably the all-time biggest fan of Charmed, which was uh, what she starred in most recently, I think. Uh, actor John Billingsley, uh, he was on Star Trek Enterprise. What character did he play, DJ? Oh, he was the doctor with that uh, Cheshire Cat grin. He was an alien oh. that looked like a shellfish, and oh, yeah. it just went ear to ear. And uh, he's married to a rather fabulous lady who's an actress herself. Okay. Anyways, I loved his character. Uh, a comedian, uh, Chris Tucker, uh, also of the movies, he did that there, uh, Rush Hour. He was born in 71. Comic Amy Poehler, born that year. Actor Winona Ryder, uh, most recently of Stranger Things fame, born in 71, and actor, and he of the three nipples, <laughs> Mark Boogie Nights Wahlberg. Oh, and they, they say in that movie it was a prosthetic, and he took his work home with him, apparently, according to some. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, gentlemen, we are talking about a TV series tonight, and of course, we like to let others know what might have been competing for your attention on the dial, because, you know, back in 1971, as our uh, previous and returning and recurring guest, Amanda, would tell you, they, they didn't have VCRs, they might have had Betamax. But, uh, you know, if you weren't home when this show aired, you were square, man. On Monday, when everyone was talking about what the young pretty wife was wearing and Macmillan and wife, oh, you might as well hit under your desk. So, all right. (laughs) On Macmillan and wife, they aired in the fall of 71 when they started. And that first season, they were not on Sundays. They stuck them in the middle of the week. It was probably a trial to see, could this thing float on its own? Wednesdays at 8.30. Now, by the time season two came along, they did fi- They did move it to Sundays. They got wise. 8.30 on Sundays. And they stayed until the end of its run in the spring of 77. But the other shows that were competing for your attention back then when this was new, uh, as of season two, when it was moved to Sundays, well, over there on CBS, our big brother network, The Eyeball, the Sandy Duncan show came out in 72. And another show that was competing for your attention on CBS, another uh, sort of a police uh, investigative series, Mannix. Man, <laughs> now, uh, by the time season three came along, the competition was changing. And on CBS, we we had the the uh, the famous chromed dome and lollipop loving detective Kojak. 
That started off there in 73. And then by the time the sixth season, which would have been uh, 77, came along, over there on ABC, they had, and one of our favorites here on Matt Name Initial, we've talked about it before, reach back into the archives and give a listen to that episode, The Six Million Dollar Man. Because, you know, we had the technology to rebuild a man and, uh, and, we did. That, and we, unbutton we, that third button. <laughs> yeah. And uh, on CBS, back to the Big Brother Network there in uh, 77, we got a taste of the husband and wife duo, the comedy, and uh, the Sonny and Cher show entered the world in 77. So I don't know about you, but if I was uh, old enough to watch TV on my own in 77, I probably would be torn between the Sonny and Cher show and seeing Rock Hudson and some of his uh, tight pants. I guess. After the show, after McMillan and wife had its run in six seasons there, we'll talk about what happened there because, you know, It was a cliffhanger, almost literally. Uh, But once the show was canceled, NBC replaced McMillan and Wife's time slot with a show that ran for years. And they called it The Big Event, which was basically a rebranding of the Sunday night movie. Everyone showed a movie on the weekend because, you know, we didn't have HBO yet. They didn't have any of the movie channels and home video rental wasn't a thing. So you were going to be at home on the weekend and they wanted to show you a movie that you might've missed in the theaters. Yeah. It was kind of a big deal because like you say, once, once it got out of the theater, uh, you would never have seen that movie again. And when it came on TV, it was like, Oh yay, I I can watch it. And and a lot of times uh, the, uh, the uh, studio that produced the movie would put in additional footage that was cut out of the movie version. They did that with Superman and and others um, just to make it even like draw even more people in. Hey, you're going to see scenes that you never saw before. So (laughs) Uh, let's talk about the series creator of Macmillan and wife. Uh, He was born in 1922 his name is Leonard Stern. He was an American screenwriter and producer and director of film and television. He passed away in 2011. Uh, happy thought here. Uh, Leonard Stern <clears throat> is one of the creators, with a guy named Roger Price, of the word game Mad Libs. Hmm. Who didn't love Mad Libs? I hear tell there's even a car edition of that game now. Probably. Anyways, when teachers in my grade school were feeling particularly lazy, (laughs) uh, they would get out Mad Libs because it was still a learning opportunity, but it was a game. Anyways, Leonard Stern was born in New York City, and he started out in journalism because that's what he wanted to be, and he studied at New York University. He did serve some time. In the army during World War II, and when he got out, uh, he actually just started writing uh, for television, which was just starting out—a very exciting time to be in television. And he got some jobs 
writing for classic shows like The Honeymooners, The Phil Silver Show, The Steve Allen Show. Everybody had a show. Tonight Show, starring Steve Allen Mm -hmm. and Get Smart. Uh, By the Mm -hmm. way, another fun fact. Uh, Stern created the signature opening door credits for Get Smart. So, as you recall... uh, uh, Adam Smart, what the hell was his name? Anyways, he would be walking down the hallway through all these doors that would open and close suddenly, and at the very end was a phone booth, which he would enter and then drop through the bottom. Uh, and that was the secret way of getting into his headquarters. Now, when I was a kid watching Get Smart, when he fell through the door, I interpreted that as he simply squatted to hide. I didn't get that he was going through it. <laughs> no. uh, anyways, uh, yeah, Stern created that uh, whole signature opening. Um, well, he went on to write for feature films, which he really wanted to do, but mm, he had a little trouble finding work, and he never really went anywhere. He he got some little bitty movies that he did, like Let's Go Navy, and uh, he did. He wrote one of the Bowery Boys movies, Bowery Boys, also known as the East Side Gang. There was a whole, God, 55 million of these B movies made with the Bowery Boys. And uh, he wrote one of them. So there you go. But it was really television where Stern made his mark. Oh, I, I, I skipped uh, some of the other little ditties he did in movies. Da- uh, he did uh, Pe- Danny, Danny Thomas's and Peggy Lee's version of The Jazz Singer. He wrote that. And he wrote a few Abbott and Costello films. Yay! Uh, but as I said, it was television that he returned to, and he made his mark. And really what cemented him uh, as a major producer and writer was Macmillan and Wife, our show tonight. Hmm. I hope, or I assume, that the uh, Danny Thomas and Peggy Lee version of the jazz singer avoided blackface. You know, uh, I don't know. It would have been right on the edge when it would have started to have been considered like, mm, maybe shouldn't do that. A little cringeworthy by that point. And, um, okay, well, so of course we all know that... Um, it takes a boatload of talent to make a show like Macmillan and Wife. And as you heard, the man behind the series, Leonard Stern, he uh, he was born in New York. Well, the leading man in the series was, of course, none other than Mr. Rock Hudson. Now, if you are someone like myself who had parents that grew up in the 50s, you would know that this is the guy who did a few films with Doris Day or Dodo, as they called her in the industry. So they were buddies. Now, Rock Hudson played Stuart, which he was never called by except for his mother, Macmillan or Mac, as he was called by everyone. Rock Hudson was born in North Chicago, in the suburb of Winnetka. Ooh, sounds fancy. I bet you folks used to brag they were from Winnetka. 
And uh, his folks were a telephone operator. So, you know, in the old days, they'd call them Sarah. And uh, dad was a grease monkey. He was an auto mechanic. Something about Sarah, Toppy? <laughs> no, no. I just think that's funny. His parents divorced when he was just eight. And, uh, well, while he um, tried to get into school plays... He couldn't remember his lines, so those who worked with Rock Hudson would probably tell you that that was one of his uh, Achilles' heels, is he he couldn't remember his lines. In fact, um, some of the -the behind-the-scenes material I've watched had some of his co-stars getting frustrated and throwing their copy of the script, saying, you don't need that! (laughs) (laughs) After high school, Rock was a postal employee, and by the time the Second World War came around, he was a Navy airplane mechanic. So, you know, taking a little bit after Dad there, but, uh, you know, joining the armed forces. After the war, he was a truck driver, and uh, his size and good looks got him into the movies, because... Of course. Now, his name, when he got into the Hollywood, Hollywood, he uh, chose Rock Hudson. His teeth were capped because everyone wanted to look pretty and, you know, not be the the uh, the laugh track. He took lessons in acting, singing, fencing, because, you know, that's that's what they call that sword play when you do the Shakespeare plays and whatnot with the the little swords called fencing. And yeah. he also w- learned horse riding. Those are all things that a studio, because Rock Hudson joined in the studio system. And that's one thing that was kind of great about it was that you were paid uh, a salary while being trained in all those things. They called that being versatile because, you know, you had potential to be cast in anything. And uh, one line in Rock Hudson's first picture in 48, a film called Fighter Squadron, he got uh, needed 38 takes because he can't remember lines, folks. And, you know, um, some might say, and I don't know this to be a fact, but that might be an indication that this poor man could have been dyslexic if he couldn't remember his lines. Be interesting to find out. In 56, he received an Oscar nomination for a film called Giant. And two years later, he was in Look magazine. You know, that that uh, conversation starter that used to sit on people's coffee tables. They named him Star of the Year back in 56. Now, he starred in a number of bedroom comedies, and of course, as I said, many with his friend Doris Day, and he had his own popular TV series that we're talking about tonight in 71, Macmillan and Wife. He also had a recurring role in Dynasty in 81. Uh, An infamous recurring role. In light of that was very near the end of his life. Now, what you got to know is that when Rock Hudson came on the scene in movies in the 50s and 60s, that was his big movie time. He wasn't just a star. He was a superstar. Women loved him. Men wanted to be him. He was incredibly popular. So uh, Rock Hudson in his day, like... You know, like the go-to, you know, you wanted him in your movie because the public loved him. 
Mm-hmm. Now, uh, at, around this time, toward the end of his career, his untimely passing in 80, well, he didn't pass in 81, but uh, when he was on Dynasty, he became the first major public figure to announce that he had AIDS, acquired immune deficiency syndrome, for those of you not in the know, and his worldwide search for a cure drew international attention. Now, he was a friend of the Reagans and quite infamously, Rock Hudson sought out the help of the Reagans because he needed to travel overseas to get some of the medicines that he needed. And they were, uh, at the time at least, breaking ground with research uh, outside the U.S. because... Well, we were in a period of being conservative, you know, folks uh, didn't want to talk about the leading man who maybe didn't care for the ladies he was starring with. Well, the important thing is Reagan, who was Hollywood and his wife, Nancy, who was Hollywood, and they were friends with Rock Hudson and they refused to help their friends. Fuck the Reagans. Oops, sorry. Well, you know. After his death, Rock Hudson's longtime lover, Mark Christian, was Rock's longtime lover and survived him, obviously. In more recent years before his passing, he successfully sued Rock Hudson's estate. He called attention to Rock Hudson's sexuality and had been hidden from most throughout his career. So, you know, uh, while they say that uh, behind every man is a very baffled woman, well, in this case, Mark Christian was often the, uh, you know, the shadows, and uh, he wasn't able to share the limelight. So the estate got sued for all that suffering. Now, before Rock's untimely passing at the age of 60 in 1985, Rock Hudson had 76 acting credits. Yeah, a lot. He was He was big time. Uh, Mark Christian often gets portrayed as something of a villain, but really they were, they lived together. And if Mark Christian was a woman, even if they hadn't have been married, uh, there's common law. And most certainly if Rock Hudson had been married to a woman, uh, she would have, uh, at least, had part of the estate, if not all of it, it just would have happened. But because Mark Christian was a man, uh, he didn't get that. And I think he had enough sense to say, wait a minute, we were together. Uh, I should have the estate. It, it just, you know, and, and, but a lot of people think he was really shrewd and, Maybe he had to be shrewd to get that. I don't know. And what's interesting to note, too, is that for ages and ages now, there's been this uh, controversy over men and uh, who they're dating. And, of course, the big thing is is when there's an age difference because, oh, ooh, scandal, scandal. Well, surprise, folks, uh, you know, uh, on this side of the bread being buttered, there's really no difference because Rock Hudson was involved with a man who was many years his junior. So, you know, it's uh, good for the goose is good for the gander. And, uh, you know, here we are. We're about the halfway mark in our show. 
So uh, we're going to take a break for a moment, and uh, we have an interview. Toppy, uh, let us know a little bit about this interview that we're going to be playing for our listeners. Okay, so uh, by this time, Susan St. James had starred in a television series that kind of got her well-known to some extent. And uh, that show had stopped. I forget what it was called. Something Peggy, Peggy something. Um, And uh, uh, she had just made a movie uh, in another country. And she had returned to Los Angeles to start um, uh, uh, our movie tonight, our show tonight, Macmillan and Wife. And they had done at least the pilot, if not more episodes. And she sat down uh, with our Bobby Wigant. Is that how you pronounce it? (laughs) Yes. Texas Tammy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we love her and we seek out her uh, interviews with celebrities. And so we get uh, Susan St. James uh, talking about working on uh, Macmillan and Wife and working with Rock Hudson. Oh, okay. You've been accustomed to seeing Susan St. James on Name of the Game, but this season on NBC, you're going to see her in Macmillan and Wife, and she co-stars with Rock Hudson. Susan, it's very nice of you to give up your Sunday to be with us, and we appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Susan, let's talk a little bit about your role in Macmillan and Wife. Just what kind of a person is Sally? She's sort of kind of like um, Peggy Maxwell grown up a little bit, you know. She's still just as nutty and such as goofy, you know, but she's married to Rock Hudson, and they they live a very sophisticated life, you know, because they have a nice house. He's the commissioner of police. And so uh, it's kind of fancy. She wears nice clothes and everything, but she still just does nutty. She can't get anything done. She doesn't do anything right. She gets him involved in all of her terrible happenings. And it's kind of a comedy mystery, you know. Susan, is the, uh, this character anything at all like Susan St. James? Well, I think the way that my style of acting is, you know, is, is most everything I do is really mostly part of me, you know, but still there's a characterization. You know, I might run around in blue jeans all day long, you know, but Peg, but uh, Sally McMillan never would, you know. So she's different because I'm performing her, but she's a lot of my own characteristics, you know, that way makes her real human and nice, you know. I think, of course, everybody, the first thing every fan I know would ask you, Susan, is what is it like to work with Rock Hudson? Terrific. I'd always heard, you know, when I since I came to Hollywood and working at Universal, that he was just the nicest man in the whole world, you know, and everybody always told me this. When I started working with him, you know, it was just a pleasure. I mean, he's just sensational to work with, you know, he's so nice, and he's just been doing it so long that he's so relaxed, you know. It's fabulous, because I'm real relaxed and real casual when I work, and so is he, and it's nice, because we get... Also helps with the park, you know, because we're both really relaxed and having a good time at the same time as that we're working, so the, the characters come out real friendly and kind of funny. And... I remember the first time I met him, I didn't really know what he was going to be like, and I try not to have preconceived notions, but I'll tell you for sure, I wasn't prepared for him to be so open and so warm and yeah. so friendly and so approachable. Oh, yeah, and he's just always just eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, you know, and I mean, he's just... <laughs> Just exactly like all of us, you know. I mean, he's not gourmet at all, you know. It's really great. 
He's a midnight snack eater, you know, like all of us. It's good. There was some talk in the very beginning of the series and the casting of you, Susan, that maybe you were too young to play opposite Rock, and he was kind of bothered by that a yeah, little, wasn't we, he? I, see, all that went by down before I came home. I was in Europe doing a picture, and when I came back, uh, I went to see him, and I started doing the part right after that. But they had been going through all kinds of things. Who should we get? How old? What, what kind of girl? And everything. And I was busy, and so they didn't even think of me, you know. And then when we started doing it, that, those things were all solved right away because it just the the chemistry was there, you know. If you have that, nobody stops to think, well, how old and what's her age and what's her time. So it worked out perfectly. Susan, yeah. thank you very much for talking with us today, and we wish you the best of luck in your new series with Rock Hudson, McMillan, and White. Thank you very much. Righty, so wasn't that? entertaining i'm so glad you dug that up for us toppy oh you're welcome but let's talk about susan st james Uh, she was born in los angeles Mm. and she began acting in the late 60s uh she started out in television um you know did the usual rounds so uh, she did a 60, 1966 TV movie. It was called Flame is the Name of the Game. It starred Jack Klugman. She also appeared in a, in a, a lightweight sequel to the 1966 Haley Mills Angels film franchise, which I've never heard of. Oh. The one, one where Susan St. James was in was called Where Angels Go, Trouble Follows. And she was cast uh, later in a supporting role in PJ, a film by the future director, John Gillerman, uh, and uh, he's famous for The Towering Inferno. In 1968, Susan St. James was cast in the sporting role of PJ opposite Raymond Burr in a film by the future director, John Gillerman, uh, who was famous for The Towering Inferno. Um, on TV... Uh, her first reoccurring, reoccurring role was on ABC's It Takes a Thief. Well, that had Robert Wagner in it. And in that particular episode, Fred Astaire. Um, and uh, like I say, St. James did the rounds in the early 70s and eventually was cast in Macmillan and Wife uh, for five seasons, 71 to 77. And she played Brock Hudson's wife. Uh, Sally was her name, and um, and it, she was an instant hit. The show was an instant hit. It just started right off the bat, uh, you know, in the top ten and remained there. Um, and later, uh, uh, Susan St. James returned to movies, uh, and she was cast in 1977's Outlaw Blues with Peter Fonda. Uh, she was in How to Beat the High Cost of Living in 1980. And uh, by the way, uh, that uh, co-starred with Jane Curtin, who she would later be in uh, the TV series, Kate and Alley. Oh. And it was really nice to see Su- uh, uh, St. James there, uh, Susan St. James, ha- find success yet again. Uh, on Kate and Alley. That's a show we did right here. Mm, yeah, um, and uh, <clears throat> so uh, after Kate and Alley, she kind of concentrated on raising her family. Uh, uh, she has a total of five children, I guess. 
she ended up having a total of five children, uh, two from a previous marriage. So she was a busy mama. And unfortunately, there was a bit of a, quite a bit of tragedy in that at least one of her sons, if not two, uh, died in a horrific plane accident. Um, and uh, that really set her and her husband back. They had a really hard time, which I think is why we didn't see a lot of her for quite some time. Uh, it was because of that um, just terrible accident. But uh, Susan St. James came back. She's had, she has had cameo roles at Netflix's The Haunting of Bly Manor. Good Lord, I saw that. I don't remember her. <laughs> well, she was just a face in the crowd at the time, but... People, oh. you know, said, hey, there's someone I recognize. Oh, okay. So, it, oh, okay. Cameo role. Okay. Um, and she was also in three episodes of Amazon's Upload. And to date, she has 39 acting credits. Uh, Paul, we had a really great uh, secondary co-star on Macmillan and Wife. He was Charles Enright, and he was played by John Shuck. What do, what do we know about John Shuck? Well, um, he was born in 1940. He's an American film, stage, and television actor, best known for his role as Sergeant Charles Enright in Macmillan and Wife. Uh, he started his career in theater, uh, making his first appearances at Denison Univer- uh, University and after graduating, he continued his career at the Cleveland Playhouse, Baltimore's Center Stage, and finally the American Conservatory Theatre, where he dis- he was discovered by director Robert Altman, who subsequently cast Shook in four of his movies, the first being MASH in 1970 as Captain Walter. Ooh, how am I supposed to pronounce that one? Something <laughs> Slavic. Yeah. Yeah. Kuchesko. The painless pole. Uh, as uh, I do have a Polish friend, I should have brought him in for that one, that one word. Uh, <laughs> I, as painless uh, holds a place in Hollywood history as the first person to say fuck in a major studio film. He went on to appear in several more Altman films: Brewster McLeod, nineteen seventy; McCabe and Mrs. Miller, seventy-one; and Thieves Like Us in seventy-four. On television. Shook was in a season one episode of the Mary Tyler Moore show in 1970. Then, of course, from 71 to 77, appeared as San Francisco police detective Sergeant Charles Enright in Macmillan and Wife. Um, he did have a crack or two at, um, at short-lived television series, um, other shows. In 1976, he played Gregory Yo-Yo Yoyonovich, a robot, in the series Homes and Yo-Yo, which was created and produced by his old friend Leonard B. Stern of Macmillan and Wife. Uh, then in 1979, Shook starred in a TV series called Turnabout, which was based on a 1940 fantasy comedy film of the same name. Um, in the TV series, he and Sharon Gless of Cagney and Lacey, they played Sam and Penny, um, which is weird because my mum and dad had cats called Sam and Penny, but I'm sure they didn't watch that show. Um, it was around that time, though. Maybe that was based on... Anyway, no. Um, they were a couple who traded bodies. Um, both TV shows were low-rated flops, though, and they were quickly cancelled. Um, later, Shock would have greater success in television as Herman Munster in the late 1980s, early 90s sitcom The Munsters. 
uh, the Monsters Today, sorry, playing the role originated by Fred Gwynn from the 1960s version of The Monsters. In the 1970s and 80s, Sharp was also a regular guest celebrity on game shows such as Pyramid, Hollywood Squares, Password Plus and Super Password and The Crosswits. During this period, Shark made his Broadway debut playing Oliver Daddy Warbucks as a replacement in the role of the original Broadway musical comedy Annie at the Alvin Theatre for a special three-week engagement. Uh, later, he became a regular replacement for Daddy Warbucks. More recently in the movie, Shark is, is also known for his work on Star Trek, often playing Klingon characters, as well as his recurring roles as Drahl on Babylon 5 and on TV as Chief of Detectives Muldrow, Muldrow of the New York City Police Department in Law and Order. Oh, and there go, folks, is our Star Trek connection tonight. Um, Toppy, oh, yeah. were we playing a drinking game this time? <laughs> Almost. <laughs> oh, so, Toppy, you might be keen to know that Hubby introduced me to the little factoid about um, John Shook's sort of uh, step away uh, show of his own there, Holmes and Yo-Yo. Now, uh-huh. I don't know for sure if you can see entire episodes somewhere online, but I did get to see a teaser or two. Now, as someone who has said that you enjoyed the Get Smart TV show, you might be interested to know that this Holmes and Yo-Yo show that was short-lived reminded me of the robot character on Get Smart. Do you remember Jaime? Yeah. Yeah. So it was a little bit like that. He was uh, sort of a a clumsy oaf robot, and there was quite a bit of comedy involved there. So, oh, all right. Well, we have uh, a a last addition to the cast here because, you know, sometimes it takes more than two to tango. And uh, the lady who was pouring the coffee and keeping the household running when uh, the pretty young wife might have been barefoot and pregnant, although she did put on a fabulous frock now and then and uh, get into the fray. Miss Nancy Walker, who some of you might have recognized from television, is that friend of Mary Tyler Moore. She was on Rhoda for a bit. Now, Nancy Walker was born in 1922. So, of course, by the time... That Macmillan and wife came onto the air. She was a seasoned veteran. Now, uh, Nancy Walker is an American was an American actress of comedy, of stage, screen, and television, and she was also a film and television director, lending her talents to the Mary Tyler Moore Show. And she also made several guest appearances during that. Now, during her five-decade-long career, whoa, she began. She may be best remembered for her long-running roles on Macmillan and Wife as Mildred, the the housekeeper, and Ida Morgenstern, who first appeared on several episodes of the Mary Tyler Moore Shore Show, <laughs> and later became a prominent recurring. Re- character on the spinoff i mentioned rhoda so that was mary's friend and if i remember right she may have been rhoda's mother now walker began her career on radio starting way back in 37 when we were still at war and she made her broadway debut in 41 in best foot forward 
The role provided Walker with her film debut, which she signed a contract with MGM, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, to appear in the 43-film version, alongside Miss Lucille Ball, the queen of comedy who was the star of the last film we discussed here on Matinee Minutia, The uh, Stone Pillow, with our guest, Demanda Martini. Now, Walker was nominated for a Tony Award in 56 for her work in the musical review Phoenix 55. And again in 60 for her performance in Do Re Mi opposite the legendary Phil Silvers. Now, dozens of television guest appearances and recurring roles followed, providing her with steady work. And her career spanned the five decades we mentioned and included comedies, dramas, and television variety shows such as the Gary Moreshore show, the Carol Burnett show, a personal favorite, and the Tab Hunter show. And, of course, later Family Affair. Now, in 70, she made her first appearance playing Ida Morgenstern, mother of Valerie Harper's character Rhoda, on the first season of the Mary Tyler Moore show. Walker thereafter became an annual guest star on the show over the next three years. Now, when the Mary Tyler Moore spinoff Rhoda appeared in 74, Walker was a regular cast member in 41 episodes. At this time, Walker was splitting her time between her CBS duties and her simultaneous appearances as the housekeeper on NBC's McMillan and Wife. She was a busy girl. She was pouring the coffee and actually um, selling the paper towels, I do believe. Yeah, that comes later. Uh-huh. <laughs> Among Walker's final guest appearances in a television series was the recurring role of Angela, Sophia Petrillo's widowed sister portrayed by Estelle Getty. Uh, and then on the, uh, Golden, on, the, well, yeah. that's, on the Golden Girls, sorry. And she received an Emmy Award nomination for this. Now, Nancy Walker continued to remain active in show business, mind you. By the time McMillan and wife came, she'd already been in for five decades. She, until her passing, she played Rosie, a New Jersey diner waitress, in a very long-running series of commercials for Bounty, what I was leading into there. Paper towels from 70 to 1990, and she helped make the product slogan, the quicker picker upper, a common catchphrase to this day. That's right. And every... Uh, every uh, commercial, she tested the strength of the paper towel by getting it wet and then having a customer place their full cup of coffee mm-hmm. on a stretched out paper towel. See, it's strong enough to keep the coffee from falling. Oh my God. And you know, it's funny because that was all, I, if I remember right, those commercials often took place in a diner. Yeah. And what's funny was that at the time that I was starting to become aware of personalities like Nancy Walker, the TV series Alice was quite popular in reruns, of course, but that was in the diner. Now, point of fact, when Nancy Walker decided or maybe was helped to decide not to be in the last season of McMillan and wife. She was replaced by another lady of diner and commercial fame, Martha Ray, the fresh mouth who did Polydent commercials. That's right. Uh, and she was perfect as a replacement. And and by the way, uh, Nancy Walker 
left that, uh, not because she wanted to, but she was offered her own television series. And of course, you know, you're going to do that uh, if someone offers you your own TV series. So it wasn't that she was unhappy on Macmillan and Wife. By the way, the oh, poor Nancy Walker. They tried twice right after Macmillan and Wife to give her her own series. I think the first one was just called The Nancy Walker Show, but then the other one was called Blansky's Beauties. And they were just terrible. And they were both canceled really, really fast. So uh, she flourished in those smaller parts. The reason I wanted us to talk about Nancy Walker and John Shuck is that they were brought into Macmillan and Wife after uh, the pilot episode. And they realized they needed someone for Sarah to talk to. They needed Mildred in there with Sarah so that they could talk because there was so much, so many plot points. Because this was a crime mystery show that they couldn't just have Sarah talking to herself. So, um, so do you mean Sally? I'm sorry. Yeah, Sally. Uh, they couldn't just have her talking to herself or talking to her husband, Rock, which is what they did in the, in the pilot. Uh, they needed somebody else in there to advance the plot. And so she would discuss plot points basically with, with Nancy Walker, Mildred and same with Rock Hudson. He needed someone to talk to other than his wife. They brought in John Chuck to be uh, his uh, basically sidekick. And that way they could discuss, you know, advance the plot, talking about plot threads. And uh, but the fact is they were both so good at it and they both worked so well with their stars that they just gave more work. You know, I was was watching an episode um, from season three where Mildred even went with them to Scotland, although uh, yeah, they, they stock footage and and, <laughs> and and sort of old-fashioned house, but so I don't think they left um, America, but uh, yeah, she went on holiday with them to Scotland, and uh, who did they meet? But Roddy McDowell playing a Scotsman. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so this was a great cast. They all worked well together. Everybody instantly loved Rock Hudson and Susan St. James as husband and wife. And uh, right from the start, uh, it became a popular show. It just played with their marriage and uh, being a comedy, but also being a mystery and sometimes even being a thriller. Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed, but in a lot of the action sequences, which most episodes would have at least one with Rock Hudson, doing a lot of physical stuff. I'll be damned. He did most of his own stunts in the pilot episode. He is riding a bike up and down San Francisco streets. And it's not a stunt person. It's obviously really him. I I saw an episode where he was doing a chase. I don't know if every episode starts with a chase, but the episodes I've been watching the last few days, everyone has started with a chase and up and down the hills. And, there was one where um, he, he, uh, he was going up and down, and, and the, the the criminal jumped onto a tram, 
and then jumped from one tram to another and started going back up again. And and um, there was a right run around it. It was difficult to. It certainly looked like like it was rock, yeah. um, even if it wasn't always. But I, you know. um, uh, he he did a, a lot of the bike riding and running and leaping was definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rock Hudson. Now, I just happened to see that very same episode, Paul, and I'll tell you what, I put the screen up as big as I could, and mm-hmm. I started freezing to <laughs> see, God damn it, is that really Rock Hudson leaping from a motorcycle onto a trolley? Is that really him doing that? And I stopped it, and geez, the stuntman whew, either looked a hell of a lot like Rock Hudson. I think it was a stuntman, though, that actually did that leaping. When you watch a lot of shows, you can clearly tell, you know, some of my favourites, like the Avengers and Doctor Who, you can tell it's a stuntman in a wig trying to look like uh, Patrick McNeil or trying to look like John Pertwee. (laughs) Well, I I froze it and looked at the person leaping space, and I said, jeez, that really could be Rock Hudson. I just don't believe they would have let him do something that dangerous. So I'm going to go with, on some of the more dangerous stunts, they used a, a stunt person. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, what did you guys think? It's 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 a hell of a lot of fun, and I think they still hold up. Oh, yeah. yeah that would be, you know, just to um, bring you up to the point, Toppy. Now, of course, I didn't see this in its original run. I caught it much more recently, but that actually brings up good question when did you first see this did, did you watch mcmillan and wife when it was in its original run toppy yeah yeah <clears throat> which is kind of i don't get that because it was a sunday night and monday was school and i wasn't usually allowed to stay up that late maybe i was old enough by then that i did but yeah i was watching it when it came out now i i know that of course this was an american program so uh, Paul didn't get to see it when it first came out. When did you first become aware of McMillan and Wife Paul? Um, I, I, I think probably in the last five to ten years. I'm trying to think when I actually bought the box set. It's, it, 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 I sort of was aware of it. And um, actually, funny thing is, I was talking to my mum about that we we're going to be talking about this today, and she said, "Oh no, who was the lady? What was the lady's name?" And I, and I, so. That would suggest I wasn't even sure if it was shown in the UK, but it clearly was. Um, I think a lot of these shows are, even if by the time I was growing up, that they, they weren't being repeated by then. But in the 70s, we were kind of getting a lot of uh, the, the, the shows that uh, like, like this and Kojak, and, and it's just that by the perhaps the 80s, less so. But, uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, I think it's just uh, it, it's very very different from Columbo, let's just say, but I think in its own way just as good. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, the interesting thing about shows like this, as we were saying, it's it's sort of a collection of TV movies because it's not your typical you know one hour show with commercials and whatnot. But this also offered the opportunity for a lot of talent to continue working. Because if you look through these episodes, each of them were 
um, more than likely written by somebody else, and each of them were directed by someone else. And some of these folks have clearly had experience working outside of television. There are many episodes that Hubby watched with me that seem to have a film quality to them. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, um, he likened them to some of the Hitchcock films with the concentration on uh, the character in their moment and then revealing perhaps the set they're on. Now, this is just part of that reveal and, and set information, but this show as a lot of TV shows and people who were from a studio system like rock Hudson had access to, you know, archives, so to speak, And I don't know about you, but watching Macmillan and Wife, I got the sense that some of these set pieces were borrowed from other things. Now, I don't know that it would have still existed, but the um, the the style of sets where you had, you know, the the sunken areas like you would have a a step up to the bedrooms dressing area and that sort of thing. It reminded me a lot of the popular sets of like the Danny Thomas show. So it almost felt like these were relics that were sitting around at a studio and they just painted them up and made them look pretty. And suddenly you now had the police commissioner's bedroom with its pretty young wife. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it's true. Uh, There were a lot of great set pieces and they were huge. Some of them and uh, a show like this, because it, they didn't crank out 32 of them in one season. They had more time to write better scripts, to find better locations, spend a little bit more money uh, on their little hour and a half, I think it amounted to, movie. And, you know, consequently, we even, the production, you know, was m- more high-end looking than your, your average uh, TV series that cranked out weekly. By the way, in the pilot episode, uh, we see the the first version of Macmillan and Wife's home. And I don't know why they did this, but they actually filmed in Rock Hudson's own home. Um, and so the house you see there, the interior where they live, that's, that's Rock's home. Huh. When I was... Um... Well, I haven't. I, I, back when I got the box set, I, I watched some season one episodes. More recent, like more recently this week, I've been watching some season two and three. And um, I noticed when I looked on Wikipedia that because the episode I watched, Night of the Wizard, which is a very sort of, I, I, I mean, that was actually a random episode, but it was very a me episode to watch because so, uh, it was all sort of always oh, a ghost, is it not a ghost? And um, John Astin was in that, who we mentioned earlier, who also plays a character. Well, I think I presume he was didn't really take in his name, but he um, Wikipedia says he played a character called Medical Examinator Sykes. Sorry, Examiner Sykes in three episodes. So that presumably that was one of his three episodes. But I also noticed that uh, he directed two episodes in season one. So. <laughs> um, yeah, he only seems to only seems to be season one episodes, and but yet he was certainly appearing in the season two episodes. So, yeah. Um, By the way, we're we may all have an opportunity to mention our favorite episodes. That was one of mine, mm-hmm. uh, Night Night of the Wizard, uh, and there was another episode I don't recall the title, where the plot actually revolved around the maid Mildred, um, mm-hmm. 
somebody was after her for something and wanted to convince her that that ghosts and goblins were after her <laughs> and the uh the whole episode was like night of the wizard kind of spooky and mm. um and it was an, just like like you said you would see things in the episode like was was that really a ghost or a goblin or and of course at the end they they explain how everything was done um but aside from that uh like colombo uh watching mcmillan and wife episode of it's like a who's who of hollywood who guest oh, star yes and that's yes. The, that's another great thing about it actually there's an, there's an episode I'd, i want to check up on because i haven't seen it yet i note that the there's an episode that was screened the day after I was born, and it it the the the, the synopsis is uh, in this bizarre case, Max's former law partner takes a suicide leap from a skyscraper window, and his body never reaches the ground. Um, the other notable thing about that, other than having Tom Bosley, is that the other guest star is Barbara Falden from Get Smart. Yeah, definitely need to check out that one. Oh, you know, of the episodes that I watched, and it's toppy to your point, it is a who's who of television. And, uh, you know, some of the episodes that I watched, in fact, the one that I found the most interesting um, was a season five episode, and it was Deadly Inheritance. Now, this actually involved McMillan's mother, who you only got to see a two or three times through the run of the show, but you got the sense that this was somebody who probably had theater experience because she had such a presence on there. But this episode also involved a seasoned veteran who I'm forgetting their name right now, but he played the kindly uncle in the Fred McMurray McMurray TV series, my three sons. He was uncle Charlie and, um, he played, yeah, I can't. I know who you're talking about. I can't recall uh, his name either. Oh, uh, but the the whole story was basically Macmillan's mom came to town to visit this older gentleman who is a former business partner of her late husband, and calamity ensues because, uh, you know this this older gentleman's on death's doorstep, and he holds stock in this company that this big mega corp wants to swallow up and she wants to know why they're so interested. And it's just fun to see this grand dame who probably had quite a celebrated career and only got to be seen on Macmillan and wife two, three times. This, this whole episode shows this pardon the term old bitty getting into the thick of things. And it's just delicious. <laughs> yeah. By the way, that the actor who played uncle Charlie and who's on the episode you speak of McMillan and wife, it's his name is William DeMarest. He was a character actor that was in a thousand things. Mm-hmm. William DeMarest. The, By the way. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say real quick. The other episode I saw happened to have Stephanie powers. And I wanted to know where that name was familiar. Familiar. And of course, she was the star of Heart to Heart. Yeah. And it, it was a story that involved um, a little bit of, uh, you know, fame and celebrity and uh, romance for that game of tennis. Because, <laughs> you know, even mm-hmm. even the biotic woman had a few episodes where, you know, it was an excuse to show off her legs and she got to be out on the tennis court. 
Mm-hmm. I, I know that um, I know that she she's actually in a. That, I think the one you're talking about is maybe season four, but um, she must have done well because she was back again by season six in an episode with Larry Hagman. Um, <laughs> so she she's one of the few people that's listed as as being on the show more than once. Um, I, I also noticed that uh, in season six, Kim Bassinger was in an episode um, oh, wow. in the final season. <laughs> so, she must have been very very like. Did she play a kid? Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, she's one of the the two um, uh, actors that's been, that have been sort of flagged up as being. Um, hmm. Of course, whether 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 that's in retrospect at the time, I don't know how. Although she she's listed as a guest star, so not more hmm. than a cameo. Um, well, let me ask you guys this: uh, in Colombo, the mystery was integral. It they were complicated, and we got to watch how very methodically Columbo would solve it. The mysteries in the crime drama, uh, Macmillan and wife, in my opinion, weren't what was really important. Uh, Yes, some of them were clever. Some of them were just confusing as hell, though. (laughs) Like, what? What? Uh, And uh, Hitchcock promoted the term MacGuffin that he would use in his movies that were often mysteries. And his feeling was, you know, the mystery part of it is just there to advance the plot. Uh, It's not really all that important. And I think that in Macmillan and Wife, the mysteries aren't really the glue. Um, They're there and they advance the plot, but but they're not they're not sometimes they're not so great and they kind of don't really ma- matter. What do you guys think? <laughs> yeah, I mean um in one of the ones that I watched it it uh you know the the sort of the backstory or the character moments actually uh added to the storyline with that mega corporation they happen to be a cereal manufacturer and the uh, scenes in between the, the real meat of the show involved the, them talking about the economy and the, the rising price of groceries. So, yeah, uh, you know, they, they had a conversation in the kitchen there and it was quite funny because he's picking up the box of cereal and he's like, well, you know, this the other week or whatever, this was this price and now it's gone up. Yeah. See, that's what I mean to me. The show was really Rock Hudson and Susan St. James and their repartee and the comedy. That was really the show. And all the other stuff was like, like, you know, to make it kind of, yeah, sometimes they played off the thriller aspect and they did have a lot of really good action sequences, but it, it was the repartee between the two main actors that, that that's really what the show was in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they tried, there, there was an old Hollywood style that was famous for that kind of repartee. And, and it was rapid fire interchanges between almost always a, a woman and a, and a male. And uh, it, it was a style and they, Definitely were evoking that uh, on Macmillan and Wife. Not every episode had a heavy dose of 
the witty repartee. It had comedy, but but there are many episodes where they wrote the hell out of that repartee, and they really kind of gave it a screwball sense to it. Did any of you, um, did either of you watch any of the episodes from season six when once um, Susan James had, had gone? Because I, I didn't get a chance to. No, I didn't. Um, well, let's just mention that briefly. Uh, Susan St. James, you know, was a tough cookie in real life. And she wasn't about to go another season and not get paid pretty much what Rock Hudson was getting paid. And she put her foot down and, well, they said no. And she said, bye. Um, so that's why she's not there in the final season. The show became just simply McMillan. And Nancy Walker was too busy with their own show, so they wrote her out. John Shuck was also busy with his own show, but because Yo-Yo and Who's It's Face was also the same producer, uh, they kept John Shuck on, but his role was vastly diminished in the last season. And it was definitely winding down. Everybody knew the ratings went down, uh, and, and, and that was that. Yeah, it no. didn't. It didn't have the magic anymore without the two of them. Uh, how did they choose to send Susan St. James character off into the sunset? Because, you know, if there was any possibility of her coming back, they might have just had a tift between them and she went to go stay with her sister. But what did they do instead? Well, they killed her off. I think it was an accident. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, she she uh, the character on and off through the course of the show, uh, they they were, you know, uh, leading up to having a baby. There was a couple of times that she was pregnant. And one of the times they just sort of decided, oh, we're not ready to do that story. So she, you know, she had a quote unquote miraculous recovery. Maybe in the days of scandal, she went off and gave up the baby and whatnot. Well, yeah, that's true. And that is a, a big point. They, they really retconned that whole bit at least once, if not twice. And for some reason, why? Well, it got ratings to have her have a baby, but then they just decided to pretend, no, she didn't have a baby, and the baby was never mentioned again <laughs> until she had another baby and was pregnant and had another baby. But then that baby was never referenced again. Oh, so it's weird. Oh, and, uh, you know, to, to uh, fill in the blank there, they killed her off. She was in a plane crash, and it took out the baby and the bathwater. Mom and son were never to be seen again. Oh, you know what's that's spooky because that's how she <laughs> that's how she lost members of her real life family. Mm. A plane accident. Ew, that's weird. Yeah. Mm. Oh boy. So here we are in our glory of the seventies Sunday night crime drama. And... One last question. Uh -huh. One last question. <laughs> okay. Rock Hudson, with or without the mustache, what do you like better? Oh, well, for me, it has to be the mustache, because otherwise <laughs> he's too much like the goody-goody that was in the Doris Day films. Okay, what about, what about you, Paul? Yeah, I'll go with that. Really? Okay, <laughs> I guess I, I he, he got rid of the mustache sometime in, 
and I liked him better. I, I liked him better without the mustache. Oh. Anyways, <laughs> I, I guess we got to wrap it up, don't we? Oh, well, you know, we are out here towards the uh, the lobby because Gertie's ride is going to be here anytime now. And, well, she's got to go to her, her, her uh, support meeting. <sighs> and uh, anyways, we're going to talk about other things you might enjoy if McMillan and wife is your cup of tea. See what I did there? Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'll go first. This is what we call our snack tray. So uh, from around this time frame, there was another show on another network there, and I'm going to recommend it. It was called The Streets of San Francisco because that's where McMillan and wife took place. And it was about a veteran cop with more than 20 years of experience who's teamed with a young inspector to solve crimes in San Francisco. This starred Carl Malden and a young Mike Douglas. And in its later season, Mr. Richard Hatch, who, of course, was um, one of the stars of the Battlestar Galactica miniseries there. Oh, yeah. That's a good choice. I chose Moonlighting. It was about a decade later. They... uh, revived this witty repartee idea and they chose once again two stars that just had magic chemistry on screen Sybil Shepherd, Bruce Willis and this show even more pushed the uh, witty repartee and old style Hollywood uh, cadence um, and it also it was a crime drama where they solved mysteries. And it also really didn't care that much about the mystery. It was all about Sybil Shepherd and Bruce Willis interacting. So that uh, was, for a time, su- super popular until all kinds of weirdo things interrupted. I think a writer's strike. Uh, there was other I think they were both quarreling over pay and I think in real life they hated each other. (laughs) Uh, So uh, it fizzled out, but in the heyday of the show, which was four years, uh, especially early on, uh, it it was a wonderful mix of comedy and drama and mystery and romance and all that. And uh, so that's why I'm recommending Moonlighting because just like McMillan and wife, they were magic on screen and it was all about the repartee okay now uh mr shayetti here mr paul visiting us from abroad what do you say what's your two cents what would you think someone might like if they enjoyed mcmillan and wife well the first thing that came to mind although it's not completely the same setup is charade um um, or charade, depending on how you want to say it. Um, the film with Audrey Hepburn and Cary Grant has uh, got certainly got the same banter between the characters, the sort of older, younger character mystery. Um, it's a great film, but I think you've covered it on the show. Um, so I th- so there'll be an episode that uh, listeners can check back on. Um, and uh, yeah, great film. And that won lots of awards at the time. Um, don't feel like it's remembered as much as Audrey Hepburn or Cary Grant's other films, and um, and, and I, I remember discovering it, buying it from a, from a cheap store, and, and really, really loving it. So yeah, um, I think that's a great choice, Paul, because it, it it absolutely has the magic of the two characters on screen and their repartee. It's it's exactly 
like Macmillan and wife in that way. Yeah. In fact, I think the plot of that movie, I can just see Rock Hudson and with a little bit of rewriting uh, and, and Susan St. James, I could just see that movie being a plot perfectly yeah. fitting in on Macmillan and wife. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All righty, folks. So before we let you know what's coming up next, because we are back from our little winter break and we got to get the old gears greased here and going. If you could, sir, Mr. Paul, if uh, you've been living under a rock or maybe you're like the neighborhood kids who just happened to stumble into the theater. I'm so sorry about your cardboard cutout there, Toppy. I'll, I'll try to get you something. Okay. Uh, in case you just stumbled in, where in the wild world of the web can people find you? Maybe they let their library card expire because shame <laughs> on you. Where can we find you, Paul? I'm on the Shy Life podcast, um, which is available on all, all your favorite podcasting locations. Um, We've been going for about 700 episodes by the time you hear this, um, and we'll be celebrating our eighth anniversary this year. And uh, while well, you've both been on the show, Mr. Toppy Smelly has, has been on the show many, 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 many times. So, yeah. <laughs> Toppy Smelly, the Nancy Walker of the Shy Life podcast. <laughs> yeah. There you go, there you go. Want some coffee? <laughs> How the, uh, that would explain you hoarding all those paper towels. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. And we'll make sure that the uh, limo gets all uh, gassed up there. Cause we don't want you stranded like last time. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, Toppy, if you'll reach up there on that shelf, get us that bag of coins. Cause that's how we tell folks what's coming up next. We got a little gumball machine. There you go. All right. Put that in the slot there. And turn the little crank there. Woo! Okay. There's a capsule, sir. Could you go ahead and open that up for us and read what's in it? All right. There. Uh, oh, next time on Matinee Minutia, which, by the way, is going to be Friday, February 2nd. Uh, at 9 p.m. Uh, oh, look at this now. It's it's all about uh, a TV series. Oh, it's a Disney Channel TV series from 1984. It's about a group of children and teenagers regularly <clears throat> who regularly perform their own rock group at a local former music club cl- called The, the Place. Place. Oh, The Place. D- uh, during which they struggle to deal with issues ranging from crushes to pimples to peer pressure and to child abuse. And this show launched the careers of such aspiring talents. Well, you know, Miss Stacy Fergie Ferguson, Martika, and Mario Lopez. Next time, Met Name Minutia, it's Kids Incorporated. Oh, that was such a fun show. And I will be sharing that for those of you who've never experienced the enormity. It's one of those uh 80s gems that uh, hop from studio to studio and it was a miracle of syndication is what they called it (laughs) ever hear of that one paul no not heard that at all okay now for those of you who may not recognize it fergie is the lady 
who was in a band in more recent years called the Black Eyed Peas. And she did a song in tribute to our guest is about the London Bridge. London, 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 London. Um, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I, you know, quite frankly, when I hear the word Fergie, I think of the uh, the, oh, the UK Duchess? personnel. Yeah, uh-huh. I think of the Duchesses. <laughs> so I'm I'm always confused by Fergie Ferguson when people say that. I I just I think they're talking about the Duchess. <laughs> well, and and the funny thing is, is that uh, I could also explain to you that once you've met her husband, you would not forget because he's quite easy on the eyes. His name is Josh. Uh-huh. Dumel, spelled D-U-H-A-M-E-L, and he's the type that would have been uh, cast in soap operas for quite a while. But he was in a a James Con NBC series about Las Vegas called Ve- uh, Las Vegas for a while there in the early noughties. So, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for your time, and I understand that you've got to get on board your little spacecraft there because you have a social event with the Duchess, and I don't know if it's Fergie or or one of her other ladies in waiting. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me again. That's all great right. to catch up. Okay. Yeah, thanks for stopping by, Paul. And, uh, oh, and Toppy, if you will say good night in the ways of the old days of radio. Satchel. No. Uh, good night, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live on the first and third Friday of the month. Go to matineeminutia.com. Click the YouTube icon for live video. Enter Discord or chat. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Tweet us on Twitter at matineeminutia. Find our group on Facebook. Have an idea for a show? Or why not let us know how we're doing? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. 